Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker speaking to you during the third week of August 2011 and thanking you for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. We have a very interesting show for you today, folks, because our guest is filmmaker Michael Weber, whose documentary, The Elephant in the Living Room, is being released on DVD next week. I've had the good fortune to see this film already, and believe me, it's a real eye-opener about the dangers of keeping wild animals as pets. Michael's impressive movie has been honored by the Humane Society with a Genesis Award and was named Best Documentary at four film festivals. In addition, Mike has also worked as a producer and in the visual effects area on such films as like Dandelion Dust, House, and three. So it's my great pleasure to bring him on now. Welcome to Movie Addict Headquarters, Mike. Hi, Betty Joe. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you could be with us. You know that I've been wanting to talk with you ever since seeing The Elephant in the Living Room. I think it's a, a very disturbing film, but so compelling and uh, emotional and enlightening and of course, we have lots of questions for you, but first we need a go-ahead from our producer, Danny Dyer. Danny, are all systems go in the chat room? Everything is open and going. It's the chat room is where we roll out the red carpet for everyone, and if you want to sign up for the chat room to put in your comments and suggestions and questions, go to the top right-hand section of the page, click sign up, it only takes a second, and it's absolutely free, and then you'll come back to the chat room where you can type away. Great, Danny, and uh, thanks for doing such a good job with uh, as a chat wrangler, and also to the people who've signed up, we really appreciate their contributions, and of course, we always, always appreciate Jazz Shaw, our co-host, who's on the line now. Jazz, I know that you have... Um, uh, an interest in the topic of the elephant in the living room. Am I right about that? Well, I've been working with animals for a long time. I, I work with the Humane Society. I actually ran a shelter for a few years. It's where I met my wife. And uh, mostly it's typical household pets, but you do get some exotics once in a while. And uh, also in, in my work as a writer, I, I've had to cover a few stories that involve some usually, unfortunately, uh, tragic incidents with uh with exotic animals being kept as pets. So, yeah, I, I haven't gotten, I, I'm sorry to say, to see the film yet, but I'm certainly planning on uh, getting the DVD as soon as I can. Well, I, I hope that you will, uh, Jazz, but I know that uh, even though you haven't seen it yet, that you'd like, uh, you have some questions that you'd like to ask, Mike. So you have the floor now. Yeah, I'm 
uh, just to go off script, before we get started, I was uh, going through your background, Mike, and a lot of your work is listed as a producer. Uh, many of Betty Joe's fans are people who are in or aspiring and might want to get in uh, to the business. Could you just really briefly let us know? We, we talked to a lot of directors. G- give us the technical distinction. What's, di- what's the difference? Uh, what about being a producer as opposed to a director or an actor and things like that? Sure. Yeah, the producer role is a little bit confusing to people because there are so many different types of producers, and even uh, among producers that serve the same role, the executive producer or producer or co-producer, even their tasks are, are even different from one film to the next. And and so um, in my case, uh, I've actually had a production company for about 20 years, and so I have a strong background in production and TV and commercial and film production. And, and then I sort of my breaking in stories, I got into uh, – producing films. I got in first as doing a, I have a strong background in visual effects and computer animation and, and I started doing that within uh, motion pictures and then uh, ended up working my way up as a producer. And what a producer does in, its, in a classic sense is you're really organizing a film from the top and so, you know, one way of putting that is if, you know, when a movie wins, you know, uh, best picture at the Academy Awards, you know, it's just the producer that actually goes up or the producers that go up and receive that award. So, so in terms of the producer, you know, they're really at the highest level. They're the they're the champion for the film. They're there from the beginning to get the film up and running. And, and typically, it was their property or their concept or their script, all the way to the end, to delivering it to the studio, and then and then well after. So, um, and in my case, as producer and co-producer on the films that I've been on, I'm really uh, and these are films that are in the sort of the three to four million dollar range, which believe it or not is a lower budget film. Um, I'm really wow. wearing a lot of hats, and, and that actually serves me very well from being a producer where I'm either working in pre-production, um, also going into uh, production, and then all the way through post, which is actually the largest part of our production. Which is now, you, you've, you've done a whole bunch of short films uh, in your career. I noticed uh, this is, is your first outing for a, a feature-length film. What attracted you to this story, to this to this concept for uh, for the elephant, I mean, the, this whole idea of uh, you know exotic pets. What what made that the draw to be your first feature? Well, you know, I had um, the other uh, films that we did for the studios were all feature length, but in terms of directing, yeah, this was my first one, and and uh, and also it was a matter of stepping away and going back and doing a documentary. So it's my it's my you know it's the first documentary I've done and. But I had read a couple books on the subject of people who own exotic animals as pets that a friend had given me these books. And, and the books were – I was in, uh, in Poland at the time. We were shooting a film, and I had these – I brought them across with me on this flight, and, and I was reading them. And they were written by an Ohio police officer. His name is Tim Harrison. And I couldn't quite believe what I was reading was true. It was a guy who was taking tigers out of people's basements, uh, you know, pythons that would normally – you know, be from India or something, pulling them out of their walls and, and all the various exploits that he's had over the past 20 or 30 years and encounters with exotic uh, animals here in the United States. And uh, it really worked on me. I just couldn't get it out of my mind, and I started doing some research on it, and I learned that, you know, there are more tigers in Texas than there are in their native land in India. You know, and I learned that there were states in this country where, you know, you need to have a dog license to own a dog, but you don't need anything whatsoever to put a lion or a tiger or a chimpanzee in your home. And as I started to, you know, really contextualize all of this and, and, and notice in the news all these different occurrences of things happening and, 
and uh, I realized this this is the elephant in the living room. There's this huge thing going on in this country that none of us seem to be aware of or be talking about. I, I, like, the, I like to play on words, to by the way. Uh, with, with you know the elephant in the room, that's something that's common in politics that I write about. You know the the thing nobody wants to talk about, but in this case, at least for some of them, it was quite literal. So, uh, c- compared to previous outings that you've had, other types of film work. Now you're into a documentary. You're into de- dealing with something with live animals, with real people who were distressed. Um, can, can you let us know how, how was that different from your previous work? What did you run into that was new, that was challenging? Uh, you know, did, did this expand your horizons as a filmmaker? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was terrifying, really, when when you're uh, as a as a producer on these other fiction films. It's really all about you know managing budgets, managing ca- uh, schedules. You know, I can tell you when we start into a production. I can tell you six months from now on a given day, at a given time, exactly where we will be, what we will be doing, what personnel will be, what you know, amount of budget we've spent, et cetera. You know, taking on a documentary from day one, you know, I, I you know, had a concept and I knew what I was looking for, but you know, really it's going to control you and not the other way around, at least the way that I did this documentary where we're following it from the inside. And so that was really so, so counter to what I was used to and also to the way that my brain worked. And so that was absolutely terrifying. But what's interesting is that actually became very liberating for me to release that control. And, and, and creatively, it was liberating to um, to let these things happen and to follow these stories and, and to look for these stories and, and figure out what to follow and where and, and let them lead you instead of the other way around. It was, you know, I liken it to the difference between driving a car and riding a roller coaster. Riding that roller coaster is so much more terrifying, but it's so much more fun. You put your hands up and say, I'm just going to let this thing take me where it goes instead of just, you know, driving your car around. And so, uh, um, you know, so so that that's what was really different about the documentary and what I really, really appreciated about it. Now, now you well, mentioned Mark, the word terrifying several times in, in terms of the filmmaking experience and scheduling, but speaking of terrifying – um, did you have a lot of direct in the same room interaction with some of the animals that you're dealing with? Did you ever feel like you were uh, a sense of danger f- from dealing with this like exposure uh, to the animals? Yeah, actually quite a bit. Um, you know, I had to decide ahead of time so that I wouldn't be making these decisions on the fly. I had to decide ahead of time, you know, how far am I willing to go to tell these stories, to get this footage, and how deep would I go to do this, you know, because I, I shot the film also, and so, and I decided ahead of time I was going to go, you know, virtually as far as I needed to, to do it. And so what that ended up meaning was I was in and around these cages where, you know, for instance, with a lion, where a lion had already, you know, around its cage where it had already escaped. You know, I remember shooting a story with a tiger. I was around its cage and it had already ripped someone's arm off. And so, so you're with these, so you're in very close contact with these animals many of which have already escaped from that cage, have already attacked people. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's pretty, pretty terrifying. But, um, you know, I felt like in order to give the audience the access that was important to adequately tell their story, you know, I needed to do that. And what's really interesting about that is that the most dangerous thing ultimately ended up being I, – I, I ended up not getting mauled by anything. I didn't end up being attacked by a tiger or anything like that. But what did happen is I ended up getting sick. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this. 
is that my close contact with these primates and with these um, reptiles and with these cats and everything ended up getting me sick. And so toward the end of production, um, and I'm a really healthy person. In fact, the only reason I've ever have gone to my doctor, I don't even have a family doctor of record, uh, is just to get a physical just for my health ins- or for my life insurance. <laughs> you know, so I don't get sick, but I got some kind of skin disease from oh. being in and around these animals, around their fecal matter, around dead carcasses that they eat on and, and, and everything that actually la- that no doctors could help me with. I was actually bedridden. I couldn't... Uh, oh. I couldn't finish the film, um, and I essentially had given up and said I can't, this was after a year and a half of production, and I was sick for about six to eight months, and nobody could help me. Oh, my gosh, Mike. That, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, how are you now? Well, I'm fine now. You know, what's really weird is after about uh, four or five or six months of this, um, I went to university specialists, went to internal medicine doctors. I mean, nobody could help me. They just kind of gave up on me, and this covered, you know, most of my body. And so um, I actually went to a world-renowned veterinarian, and I said, look, you've got to help me. We know that this is zoological, and, you know, um, and what would you do? Just treat me like an animal, basically. What would you do if I was an animal and I came in like this? And he said, okay, here's what I would do, and we – aggressively treated me for basically parasites and uh, with with my doctor's consent. I mean, you know you're in trouble when you go to your doctor and say, hey, I've got a vet who recommends we do this, and they put up their hand and say, whatever you want to do is fine. <laughs> you know you're in trouble. And so, uh, you know, so we did that. And um, So they after, dewormed you, basically. Well, <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> you, know, they, they, you know, when I said treat me like, you know, he took like a pill and put it in a piece of cheese and held me down and, And of course, then I spit it out, you know, like your dog does. Well, Mike, Mike, I mean, uh, that is, I I did not know that, and I'm so glad that you're okay now. And I I wanted, I was, I became a fan of yours, of course, watching this film, but I also became a fan of Tim Harrison because, my gosh, the. The dangers that this police officer has faced in in the job that he does. Could you tell us a little bit about Tim, because he was so much of the of the movie. Yeah, he's amazing. And when you when you take on any film, one of our things that we always look for when you're writing a film, uh, you're reading a book, you want to turn it into a film, is you're really looking for interesting characters in unique situations. And if you think about, that's really the heart of most really good films. And and you think about Tim Harrison, this. Ohio police officer. He's actually a police officer. He's a firefighter and a paramedic. He's all three. And believe it or not, he was actually also inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame during the time that I was showing him. So you want to talk about an interesting character and his unique situation is that he, and this isn't his job, but because of there's such an influx of these animals in people's homes, and of course they escape and attack people, he's kind of the go-to guy he has it because he has a lot of experience in the past from being with these animals. He's the go-to guy that that goes and rescues them, and so I mean he's just really he's got to be the most amazing guy that I've ever met. Um, he's an animal lover. He knows he knows so much about animals. He has all those attributes that I explained, and then I mean he's literally rescued and captured over a hundred big cats, lions, tigers, cougars, hundreds of venomous snakes and pythons and. And, uh, and and reptiles and alligators. I mean, I think one year he had to rescue, I don't know if it was 27 or so alligators and crocodiles just in one year. 
just in oh my like a just in his just like in a 60 mile radius, you know, in in southern Ohio. There, I mean, he's really an amazing guy, and uh, and his story is a great one. So, uh, I mean, that was really the hook for me was uh, having well, someone you like too. Him. Well, you two probably uh, set up quite a uh, friendship as a result of the film, and I, I've heard that uh, Tim has also written two books on the topic and produced educational wildlife videos right, and been right. featured on nearly every major TV network. So um, so he's he's someone for us to find out more about, and uh, I hope that the listeners will, will do that. Now, there's another person in the film that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, it's, it's a very poignant story, I think. Tell us a little bit about Terry Brumfield. Yeah, when I started the film, one thing that I was, and, and I know I wanted to follow around, around Tim, um, who's very much against people, you know, having these animals as pets because he's watched his own friends die from this and everything. But I also wanted to see the other side, and, and actually I found the other side more interesting. I wanted to follow the story of someone who was raising a big predator in their home. And so I had come across various people, but then I ran into Terry Brumfield, who had raised two African lions in his home as cubs. And uh, and then by the time I had met them, he had already moved them out into the backyard now and had a pen for them. Um, and they were, you know, already four or 500-pound uh, lions. And so these are pets, you know, that he had raised in his home. And so, of course, when I met him, he's a, he, he's a really interesting guy. He's a great storyteller. He had documented a lot of his experience raising his, uh, lions, you know, with home video and stuff, and so I was able to see a lot of that, and I used a little bit of it in the film, and and his was a really neat story, and and I found him really compelling and very honest, and and his situation, like Tim's, is just sort of so is so unique, you know, what he in, in his daily life living with these lions is so incredible, and by the way, he also has a lot of it. He's got like little dogs and a little Jack Russell that follows him around. The funny thing is, you know, he has to have a license from the county for Jack Russell. He doesn't have to have anything for his African lions that he keeps in his backyard. <laughs> so, and then, of course, as you know, you know, toward the uh, end of the, you know, the, the beginning of the film, one of his lions escapes its pen and is running down that major U.S. highway. And, uh, you know, so, so everything just breaks loose after that. Oh my gosh. And, of course, my I experience with him, yeah, we, we developed a real strong friendship, and I spent about a year and a half uh, with him and and uh, and I really uh, you know regardless of where you stand on the issue and and what it is that you know that that he was involved in um, he was an incredibly honest guy you know he suffered from depression and was on medication and 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 it had a lot of problems and those lions you know certainly helped him out um, during that time so uh, you, you keep mentioning both sides Mike and I, I know as a documentary filmmaker you're you're more into almost the journalism aspect of it and wanting to present both sides. But now that the project is done, what did you take away from that? Because, And the reason I ask is that we have animals that man has modified over thousands of years, our dogs and our cats, you know, farm animals that we have successfully domesticated. We're talking about a group of animals that don't have a genetic heritage of interacting with humans in a friendly fashion, and people do this, and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it leads to tragedy. Where did you come down at the end? Is this something people should 
be doing even with the utmost care, or is this something that you would be in favor of more of a ban on? Yeah, I'll start off by telling you how I approached the film and how the film plays out, and then I'll, I'll tell you actually how I feel. When I approached the film, um, I, and throughout, I, 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 there's no narration from me. Um, unlike a lot of popular documentaries, I'm not the main focus of the film. You don't mm-hmm. hear from me. You don't, you don't see me. And, and I found it more interesting to sort of cover both sides and, let the not, and not tell an audience what to think. And, in fact, we were going to learn together. As we go through it, we basically learn together. This isn't an activist film. I knew very little about it except for my year of research that I did before I uh, started into this. So, um, you know, this is a film about characters and, and about a, a story with, with a really interesting issue that's going on in the country. And so I, I stayed very true to that, and we, we see both sides. And when you leave, you know, hopefully, you know, my approach was I wanted to present a lot of questions and not try to answer them for you. I'm really turned off when people tell me what to think, and so I'm the same way, you know, and I treated the film the same way. But, um, but, the, but um, and, and it's not like you have to do that with a documentary. A lot of them do have a very strong point of view, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just found that less, less interesting, basically. Um, but I did learn a lot during the process, and, and, and what was really clear to me is that, you know, the, the, the overall question is, where you know what is the place for these wild animals um, in our society? You know, is the place for a chimpanzee, which, as you say, is not domesticated, and it, and it won't be domesticated. I don't think it can be. I mean, it would, it's taken thousands of years to domesticate dogs and cats, the way that we have, and, the, and dogs and cats naturally fit into our society very well. Um, but you know, take a, ch- a chimpanzee. Is its place in our home, dressed up as a boy eating with a spoon and and with a knife and things like that, and we, where we call it our child and, and so forth, or, or is, it, is its place actually out there in the wild with its own troops living in the wild? And it's clear to me that their place is in the wild. They don't fit in well here, and it, there are two aspects of it. One is the public safety aspect, which is really overwhelming. I mean, you know, someone keeping a tiger next door, you know, in their backyard <laughs> to you in the suburbs, you know, obviously that yeah. poses a real uh, public safety issue, and the film speaks to that a lot inherently. But, but the other side is just the animal, the animal welfare issue, and and it's clear that you know, yeah, let me put it this way: when, when I initially started off shooting, I mean, there's a tiger in a cage, and I'm filming it, and I was fascinated, and honestly, it was sort of a, uh, um, a guilty pleasure of mine because when you're around these majestic animals, you're just in awe of them, and I could sit there and I could mm-hmm. shoot all day, and the same with the lions or anything else that I that I saw. But eventually, you know, you start to look at it and say, wow, that tiger will never run like it's an entire life. You know, if they successfully keep it in this cage, it will never run. It will never hunt. Um, it may never right. you know, breed. And that's not what it's designed to do. I mean, you look at it, it's clear this thing is supposed to run. It's supposed to hunt. It's supposed to live in the wild. And, and to sit there and pace in a cage you know, for our pleasure, you know, just to look at it and be captivated by it, um, it is really a selfish act. Selfish act and, uh, and so it became, you know, to the point where I, I got tired of seeing animals in cages, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, very shortly, you know, halfway through production. Um, that's just not where they're supposed to be. And, and even in spite of the public safety concern, it's like that, you know, that primate, I'm, that cat, I'm that's not you. where it's supposed to be. I'm with you on that, and uh, I just um, <laughs> I had just seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. 
uh, right before uh, getting ready for this show, and I thought, oh my gosh, how timely this this movie is because a lot of the things that you're you're mentioning about where where animals <laughs> where exotic animals belong in yeah. the wild. Have you have have you I seen did. this yet? I did, and I was and I had been told ahead of time. In fact, by uh, I was in an, on another interview, and the reviewer was telling me how closely related our film was with Planet of the Apes, and and how yes. they're really tapping into that same issue. And 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 I and and so I finally saw it on its opening weekend, and I was blown away. I mean, all of the same themes and everything that we're touching on, which really I don't think have been touched on much um, in recent years at all. Are, are, you know, they're tapping into the very same things with taking a chimpanzee in your home and the connection that you have and how it, it goes awry and and uh, yeah, I, I found that really fascinating. I, I thought they did a actually I they did a fantastic job with it. It was a great concept. I think they, that it, well, it's one of my favorite uh, movies of the year, mm-hmm. and um, I I just uh, was very curious to hear what you would think about it. Well, maybe Rise of Planet of the Apes will earn a Genesis Award of its own, and that's <laughs> Good kind of what I wanted to ask you about, uh, and I congratulate you on the uh, winning a Gen- Genesis o- Award. I was look- looking at some of the movies that have been honored with that award, and some of my favorites appear on the list, Finding Nemo, Happy Feet, Gorillas in the Mist, and uh, The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, I think How to Train Your Dragon from la- from last year, mm-hmm. and um, I noticed that Tippi Hedren received a Lifetime Achievement Award. Tippi's a, a good friend of the show. She's been on our show to talk about this same topic, and Jane Goodall won a Lifetime Achievement Award, and I, I didn't see too many documentaries that have received a Genesis Award, so... So you're you're in a very rare company here. Uh, how do you feel about that award, and how did that come about? That was great. I mean, just to be nominated uh, was fantastic, and I'm a big fan of the Humane Society of the United States. And and actually, um, they they'd been a big fan of the film, and I won an ACE grant from them several years back um, oh. when I was in production on this, and and uh, and that actually helped us to be able to continue through production. And so, uh, yeah, it's great. And I was there. Um, my wife and I attended last year. I think the Cove won last year, and and Tippy was, yeah, received her Lifetime Achievement Award. And and actually, Tippy and I and Tim Harrison are really good friends um, as well. Um, I had spent some time with her while shooting the film, and and uh, and we've got some initiatives together, and, and we're trying to help each other out with some of the the federal laws and so forth. So, but uh, yeah, just getting nominated for the Genesis Award Award was a uh, a, a really big, you know, shot in the arm to us, and 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 was just great. But uh, let alone to walk up there and to be able to receive it, I I can barely remember it. I I watch it, you know, <laughs> but I don't even remember what happened because uh, I think you know, um, you know, when, when you're up against these Disney movies and so forth, uh, uh, and to be called up there was just really, really something special. Well, there's a little clip, listeners, uh, about uh, receiving the. Elephant in the Living Room Award from the Humane Society, and the clip is on the site for the film, and I'm uh, asking Danny to put that um, link in the chat room. It's www.elephantinthelivingroom.com. Did I get that right, Mike? The Elephant in the Living Room. 
com. TheElephantInTheLivingRoom.com. And uh, you'll get to see Mike there. Uh, and it, is Tim Harrison with you in that clip? Uh, yes, I believe he is, yeah. And at the end of that, he gives a speech um, as well when we receive it. So, uh, yeah, he's great. That's great. I want to check with the with Danny now to see if we have any comments or report from the chat room. Danny, how are things going in the chat room? Everything is going great. We've got lots of talk today. Yay. Uh, one one question from earlier was if the original King Kong was actually produced by former documentary filmmakers. That's a good question. Does anybody know that one? I don't well, know. Well, I looked it one. I looked it up and the man that does the audio for the original King Kong was a former documentary filmmaker. Wow. You know, Marian, speaking of Marian that, Cooper? Ernest Shodsack. Okay, well, good. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. Well, a documentary <laughs> film. I think I think the people who made the film were interested in in documentary filmmaking, and and that was the whole thrust of it. The there were there was a documentary filmmaker going out, you know, and and wanting to make a documentary about this uh, huge uh, monster, and uh, that's that's a good a good question. So um, thank you uh, for. Uh, chatters for bringing that up and Danny for for getting the uh, answer for us. I wanted to move to some of your other films, if that's okay, uh, Mike. I was wondering, I know on your list of films on the Internet Movie Database, you do have quite a background as a producer, as uh, Jazz mentioned, like Dandelion Dust, Devil You Know, House 3, The Visitation, and are there several horror movies in that list? <laughs> yes, yes, there are. Uh, <laughs> yes, and so you know, these are these are a few of these films are 20th Century Fox films, and and one with Lionsgate. Um, so yeah, you know, that's not really by design, but uh, um, but uh, yeah, those those were those were pictures that I was hired on to to help produce, and I was I was glad to do it. Many of them were based on best-selling books, um, uh, so. Uh, so yeah, I mean that was a great experience, and I think one of my favorites actually was one of the more recent ones, like Dandelion Dust, uh, which has Mira Sorvino and Barry Pepper. Um, John Gunn's a great director who directed that film, and that was out uh, last October. But um, that's really a great film. It's a custody battle film, and I appreciated being able to uh, work on that that film because it uh, has a real great character uh, character film, and 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 kind of got away from that thriller horror genre, you know, for a while. Well, well you, you um, worked it, in all the genres pretty much by this point, Mike. Uh, l- let me just toss one in your lap. Uh, how did the experience compare? I mean, given a choice, do, do you prefer horror? Is Are you now sucked into documentaries? That's what you want to do, you know, live action, animation. You've done special effects. I mean, what, what's the best fit for you? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, my favorite films are films that um, are true stories. You know, and I think the document, and even though I haven't had the opportunity to uh, do much of that, you know, that's really what I aspire to. And so, the documentary, you know, is really the epitome of that, of that type of storytelling. You know, and so, um, so I've got a couple of the films that I'm working on that actually 
um, are derived from true stories and real life events. And so uh, those are really my favorites. And, and although the, uh, you know, my credits are kind of all over the place, um, I think it's great. It's, it's really helpful because, uh, you know, working in all the different sensitivities of all aspects of productions and genres, um, I think have really served me well. But, but I look forward to, um, you know, continuing along the lines of like Dandelion Dust or, or other true life uh, films. And well, just I don't actually, catch any more flesh-eating diseases while you're doing these real-life films. <laughs> you know, I've had, my, <laughs> I've had my share of that. You know, our real life is is, is terrifying enough, uh, um, you know, know, and, and know. so we'll make the movies kind of an escape from that maybe. Well, how did you happen to become involved in uh, doing visual effects for films? Yeah, I actually, you know, my dad was a computer programmer and uh, oh. so a real techie guy, and so I started programming when I was very young. And uh, and on my mom's side, she's a real movie buff. She's a technical writer. I learned writing from her, and also an artist. And so I was like this unusual thing where I used you know both sides of my brain. I was actually an artist and a painter and a writer, and I received scholarships for that. But I also knew a lot about uh, computers and programming. And you know, right around I guess the 80s or so, those two worlds really collided in a very positive way when computer animation. Uh, started to become really hot in 3D computer animation. And so in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, that was starting to surface. And so I was really strong in that, and I, and I had a great interest uh, in that. I was also a writer, and so I had, you know, all of that stuff going on, and I was majoring in English, you know, in, in college while trying to still work on computer animation and special effects. And, and over time then, uh, you know, that ended up giving me sort of a backdoor way into the movie industry, you know, that type of knowledge. Um, and that's when I ended up being able to serve as visual effects supervisor and animator and, and, and stuff on these other films. And so even well, at a producer uh, level, I was Well, that's a very creative uh, field, I think, right now. And to have a background in that will stand you in, in good stead no matter what movie i think that you're that you're involved in do you know what i forgot to ask you and uh, i'm very very sorry about this before we left the elephant in the living room i haven't seen the dvd you know i saw a screener when the film first came out so i've missed the bonus features and i've, mm -hmm. I've heard that there are some interesting bonus features on the dvd that comes out next tuesday so could you tell us about those yeah, absolutely. So even if people have seen the movie in theaters, the uh, we wanted to really make the DVD something very special. Um, and so, you know, if you go to theelephantinthelivingroom.com, um, that's really, uh, you know, our, our movie is released digitally pretty much everywhere, uh, satellite and cable and pay-per-view, iTunes and, and Amazon. But the only place to get that DVD with the special features is on our website. Um, oh, so, so we want to make sure that you go there to get it because we actually have over an hour worth of uh, bonus features. Mm -hmm. So we have deleted scenes, scenes that are amazing. Like for instance, how does Terry feed his African lions? And I didn't mm -hmm. have to, it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, but I had to really trim the film down. And so you get to see that scene, and you get to see how he does that. Um, you get to see, um, you know, basically there's we have like a 50-minute featurette that has Tim and myself, and if you remember from the film, remember the big muscular guy, Big Russ, who's in, yeah. who's in the film? All three of us sitting there actually answering questions that are frequently asked about the about the film, and uh, it really answers a lot of questions that people have, and it's, it's pretty entertaining. Probably the best feature on the DVD 
I'll tell your listeners, if you go to, if you like us on Facebook and you become one of the fans on Facebook, next week we're going to release how it is that you get to a hidden feature on the DVD, which is an Easter egg. And an Easter egg oh. being one of, the, one of the scenes or something that we actually hide on the DVD. And oh. uh, we, have, we have something on that DVD that you wouldn't normally come across in the menus, and we'll explain uh, on our Facebook page how you get to it. That opens it up. That is probably one of the most compelling uh, extra scenes that we have that we actually hid on there for people. So uh, a lot of content and a lot of really fascinating things for people. We, we missed well, one now. other question, Mike, re- real quick, because uh, I did want to circle back to the film just very briefly. Um, when you do a controversial topic like this, you, you tend to stir people up. What sort of response has the film gotten? Have you been getting feedback or, you know, particularly maybe even negative feedback from people saying, hey, don't mess with our right to have our animals or, or you know, hey, don't don't promote people keeping animals, things like that? Yeah, you know, because we explore both sides, I mean, we've had a little bit of both. We've had praise from both sides, and I've also had criticism from both sides. But, uh, uh, you know, the biggest thing that, that I look out for is, is audience reaction and, and, and critics' reaction. And, and the audience reaction has been fantastic. And, and when this movie took two years to make and, and you're sort of working in a vacuum and, and you're working even secretly and, and you're always just wondering what's going to happen when I let this go and, and how are people going to react to it. And it's been fantastic, and as we mentioned, I think earlier on, uh, you know, our first, you know, we won uh, four best documentary festivals. Audiences have been going crazy over it. I mean, have people saying that it's, you know, changed their life and things like this. And and you know, it's funny with the documentary, or maybe specifically with this film. I mean, I've never heard things like that, you know, from people from doing any of our other films. You get this extra experience that people take away from it that you don't normally get from just a form of entertainment. You know, most reactions from people, even from a good film, when you walk out of the theater, as you say, that's great. Now let's, you know, let's go to Applebee's and get something to eat. <laughs> you know? And in this case, you know, people walk away and all they want to do is talk about it and talk yes. about it more and find out more. And, and, it beca- and it affects you personally. And it's this real thing that's happening out there. And, and, uh, and that, you know, has just been overwhelming, you know, to to hear the responses from people. It's just been really, really rewarding. And well-deserved, too. Do you have any upcoming prog- projects you'd like to mention? Because I see the time is going by so rapidly, and I wanted to make sure that you uh, had a chance to tell us about anything coming down the pike that you'd like well, to talk about. Well, I won't plug them too hard, uh, but the, the one thing is actually I am working on a uh, uh we're in development of a television uh, series that's a spinoff from this content. And you know, uh-huh. I learned so much, and it affected me so much. It's like I, I can't – there are plenty of films that uh, – that other films that we're working on, but I can't quite just walk away from it outright. I mean, it really affected me, and there's a lot to do, and there's a lot to explore in, in this world. And so I'm actually uh, uh, continuing that effort and, and doing some spinoff work on, on Elephant. Um, well, I hope that you do because there are lots more stories to be told about that uh, that topic. And I see <laughs> that our time is almost up. And I want to thank you so much, Mike, for being uh, such a terrific guest. It's been great having you on our show today. And when you get the TV series going, will you come back and uh, talk with us again? Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Anytime. 
It's our pleasure to have you here. And keep up your good work, and be sure to tell Tim Harrison how much we admire him, too, will you? I definitely will. I absolutely will. <laughs> well, thank you again, and um, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and I hope everyone um, orders the DVD from uh, from your website so that they can get those uh, DVD bonuses. And so we'll we'll let you go now, and we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Bye for now. Jazz. Isn't it encouraging to talk with someone like Mike Weber, who's responsible for it, for this kind of important documentary? It, it is. I'm, I'm glad to see people are still doing it. I, I was kind of trying to pay attention to the chat, and people were mentioning that uh, – one of the sad parts of this is that films like that, unless you live in, an, in a, a big city area with a lot of different screenings, you know, art houses, everything else, you often don't get to see them. Most of the country never gets to see a documentary because there just aren't enough, you know, slots in the theater, and, and, and you miss it until it comes out on DVD, so that's the only way you can catch it. Right, and I'm glad we were able to tell more people about this uh, this wonderful uh, movie. But it is time to wrap things up now with a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio and at WRSP936 for their support, and to Danny and Jazz for making today's show such a treat to host. Thanks again to Mike Weber, to our chatters and other listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. I sure did. Please come back next time for our special Lucille Ball tribute featuring James Sheridan, co-author of a terrific new book titled Lucille Ball, FAQ, Everything Left to Know About America's Favorite Redhead. Some surprise guests might also call in, so don't miss this fun episode. Also, don't forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. So get ready. Here's Kenny Loggins to take us out. With you guessed it, Footloose.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.